Hi, everyone. It's Shanda Wallen. And this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, we are talking about how to create conscious development leadership cultures, how to make a better place to work, because we know that that is one of the determining factors of whether or not we stay with a job, the culture. But let me tell you a little bit more about today's guests. Yes, we've got two, Catherine and Ed from AO People Partners. And AO People Partners is a leadership consulting firm specializing in helping organizations build development cultures that drive business success. AO helps executives and teams advance the business agenda through practical and effective leadership development and integrated people strategies. A pioneer in integrated people development solutions, AO knows from experience and research that their approach to people development drives business success while also contributing to society. Catherine Allen and Ed Offerdinger are AO's co-founders. They both are leadership coaches and people strategists, and they are the co-authors of Conscious, Capable, and Ready to Contribute, How Employee Development Can Become the Highest Form of Social Contribution. And I hope you enjoy our conversation on how to create conscious development leadership cultures. Hello, hello, and welcome, Ed and Catherine, to the Leadership Habit We're so excited to have you. Today, we're talking about conscious development cultures. I'm super curious to learn more about it. But before we dive in, they heard a little bit about you, of course, during the opening bumper. But I just wanted to have you introduce yourself to the audience. How did you decide to write your book, to found AO? Tell me everything that they need to know before we dive into talking about conscious development cultures. And I should say this to our audience, we are doing a three-person interview today. So you are in for a treat to be able to have multiple perspectives in a podcast. I'm here for it. We rarely do it. So I'm so glad that you're down for the challenge and that we're all here together. But yeah, tell me, how did you come to be? Yeah, well, I guess I'll go first. Thanks, Jim. We're really excited to be here. And Catherine and I have done, we do a lot of talking together. So we'll see how the dance goes. It usually goes pretty well. So uh, we'll try to make it easy on you. Um, So I am an entrepreneur. I grew up in Washington, D.C. area, just just outside, actually. I went to the University of Virginia. Um, I originally wanted to be a teacher. My dad said, eh, I think you should probably go into accounting, which most people didn't really think matched my personality, but um, I did. And I started Arthur Anderson, and which is a great place to start. And I pretty quickly evolved into the management side. I, I loved the business. Yeah. Being an accountant wasn't all that exciting to me, but but I loved running the business. And I ended up being the managing partner of uh, two firms, Baker Tilly, which is a national, uh, international firm now, and the predecessor firm in D.C. that we merged in, which was called Bears in Color. Um, all along, and this kind of leads to why we're together, um, I knew, uh, I, I didn't figure it out, but we figured out collectively, the partners, that investing in people it was the it was the thing. It was the actual sort of competitive edge that if we did that and we built cultures where people stayed a long time, holy smokes, we ended up with greater results. And so that's a theme we'll come back to. And it started with partners. So we all got back in the nineties. We all got coaches. We all did a bunch of three sixty work. We began to work on ourselves. We started at the top, not at the bottom. And I had a coach my entire management career. I look over to the left here because his mask card is on the wall and he passed away a few years. I'd still be working with him if he hadn't passed away in 2015. But along the way, I knew that's what I wanted to do. 
and I wanted to be a coach. And so when I was exiting that business, um, 2016, 17, I had my friend Catherine, who was already a leadership coach. And so we decided to start the firm. The other, last thing I'll say about me at this point is that all my life, thanks to my maternal grandmother and my mother, I've been a love, I've had a love of the word, I'm a voracious reader, and I've been writing in one form or another all my life. So, well, well I guess I'm excited because a couple of years back, Catherine and I published Conscious, Capable, and Ready to Contribute, which really allowed me to exercise my fiction writing. And yet it was a way that we were able to tell the story of really what a conscious development culture is, which is the perfect segue to my partner. Yeah, take it away, Catherine. I love that ad. Thank you so much. Well, and thank you for inviting us to uh, be on this podcast. It's really great to speak to you. Um, And so I actually grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm from the South, but I went to school in Boston, go Boston Terriers. And then I spent a good bit of my early career uh, traveling and working abroad. But the bulk of my career has been devoted uh, to the people side of business. Um, And specifically, that means really working to help people um, have better conversations and work through interpersonal communication issues and just be able to work better together. And so that would translate uh, into uh, workplace mediation and facilitation. And then I found myself doing a lot of organization development consulting. So I've worked um, in managing of practices devoted to OD and leadership development. Um, What I realized a few years ago is that we've really got to take a deeper dive into how we develop people in the workplace um, because it is really important how we do it um, is makes a lot of difference. So um, that's really a bit about me um, and just ready to dive into, um, well, I will just say a little bit, um, well, Ed, why don't you talk a little bit about um, how we came to write our book? Yeah. Well, for, yeah, really how we started the firm too. It's like, like I said, I really wanted to coach and help businesses succeed. And I knew that that was how, you know, that actually worked. And I knew the investment in people was going to be good for the business, was going to be good for them. Um, in the book, we, as we were preparing and thinking about, you know, how we would put all this into something that would be uh, digestible, we really landed on this idea that there are certain types of skills that we all need to thrive. And so we built that in. And so good for business, good for people. And then Catherine had this idea sitting on the back porch as we were having the early days of AO, which was, huh, well, I'll let her tell you, it's really about the idea of contribution. Yeah. So, you know, as I was saying, you know, I've, Worked for a long time on the employee side, the soft skill development side of um, of leadership development and people development. But what I found was that it it we really today have got to take a a, a um, we've got to get better at what we do in developing people in the workplace because it's not only key for business success, but is also what makes the most difference in people's career, but also outside of work, um, at home and in society. And so we we wrote um, our book and we founded our company, AO People Partners, with the mission um, 
of inspiring and supporting the conscious practice of people development in the workplace, because we have a vision that people development should be a recognized and incentivized form of social contribution. We believe that uh, when companies are committed uh, to developing their people, um, they really are making a contribution to society the same way that they contribute when they are environmental stewards, and we recognize and incentivize that in society, or make philanthropic commitments um, to causes in their community. We recognize that. We believe that people development in the workplace should be a recognized and incentivized form of social contribution as well. And so our book really tells the, the message of what it is like to discover people development as an expanded cause for why a company can exist and what they can contribute as well as how they benefit um, as a business. That's beautiful. Well, and of course, you know, we know that we want that ripple, that ripple effect because we spend so much time at work. I, I've read the stats. We've spent a third of our lives at work. So how do, are we not as organizations or leaders responsible for that experience that people have that bleeds into their families, their friends, their lives outside. And so I, I love the mission, love the book. I want to dive in because I want to learn a little bit more about what do you mean? So we're going to talk about how to create conscious development cultures, but as a baseline, I think it'd be helpful to have a definition. What do you mean by conscious development cultures? I know you talked a little bit, you know, before as you were introducing the book, but what do you specifically mean by that? Yeah. So what we mean by that is that a conscious development culture is really an intentional or conscious way of operating as an organization that cares about and supports the many ways that employees can learn and grow every day in their workplace. Right. Um, it's where it's really important to help bridge the work that people perform every day and their developmental journey because they are an adult and a person um, that they are on. And growing their capabilities at work is really the, is where adults have access to learning things about self-awareness and a growth mindset and, um, you know, what it means to think critically, empathy and compassion, all of these uh, people skills, we call them, or mind skills that we need and work in addition to our technical skills. Um, this is where working adults actually are exposed to ways that they can grow more uh, consciously on their full potential. And, and we believe that the workplace really um, needs to have a culture that enables people to grow and develop in a safe and productive way every day. Oh, that safe, safe way is so important. And you also had opened with, you know, the different ways that people want to be developed, the different ways that we should approach our team members based on their skill sets, their motivation, their drive, where they want to go. But I know that this also coincides now, like shifting gears, because this is going to come over to Ed. So I know that conscious development kind of coincides a little bit with conscious capitalism, which I still would say I know so little about that. We had a guest on a while ago and about conscious capitalism, but it's something that I am not as familiar with. So maybe bring us back up to speed and how they work together. Sure, absolutely. So I, before I talk a little bit about conscious capitalism, I, I do want to say that building a conscious development culture 
is a good business move, whether or not you accept all of the tenets of conscious capitalism. I mean, it is, a, it's the gift that will keep giving. Um, and on that, I mean, we, what we do is we help companies embed all of those principles because culture is how things get done. So if you're embedding growth and learning and development into recruiting and into onboarding and into your performance and into offboarding, you know, the leaving. So, so let me just say conscious capitalism, John Mackey and Raj Sisodia. John Mackey was the founder of Whole Foods. Raj is an academic. They published a book probably 10 years ago called Conscious Capitalism. It's sort of a yellow, uh, it's a, you know, yellow. yellow book that everybody, you know, many people have read or at least become aware of. And it really is, uh, there are four basic principles, and I'll just rattle through them reasonably quickly for your audience. So first and foremost, well, conscious capitalism starts with the premise that business done well elevates humanity. So. So I like to say <laughs> capitalism is not the problem. We've got some bad capitalists, but fundamentally capitalism is about lifting humans because we all want, you know, we need to live and earn and fair wages and create jobs. People, people want to work. So it starts with that and then the first tenet is higher purpose and so people want to work at companies who actually have big missions and goals um jim collins you know good to grade well to laugh he'd say that higher purpose is the fundamental reason for existence beyond just making money okay and and what's the why and if you think about the two most predominant generations working today millennials and the next generation and they ask a lot about why. So as a business, being able to articulate that and have a big vision and mission and why is very attractive. So conscious leadership, conscious capitalism companies have higher purpose. The thing that's probably the most unique is the second one, which is stake, stakeholder orientation, sometimes called integration. And it's the idea that there are no trade-offs. Conscious capitalist companies, they, they, they build fairly elaborate stakeholder maps because, yeah, you can do everything for the customer, but you've got investors. You got to keep that all balanced, but there's no trade-offs. You have to have a mindset that is keeping all of the stakeholders, your people, paying your taxes, the environment, all of that in balance. And when you do, you actually have high performance. Conscious leadership is just that. They have to own, leaders have to own their own development. Conscious leaders have typically have very high EQ that they've worked on and honed. They have a systems intelligence, which they've worked on and honed. Back offline, we were talking about golf. They've gotten better because they've committed to getting better. Um, I would say conscious leaders are typically what we would call servant leaders, first among equals, egalitarian in their thinking, very little command and control. They live, you know, they have integrity. And I don't mean like honesty, although that's important, but they live the higher purpose that you'll read on their website. I can't tell you how many times we talk to people who go, I needed to get out of there. I got attracted <laughs> to what they said on the website and it wasn't anywhere to be found. That's, that's a breakdown in integrity. And when people see that miss, boy, the culture just gets completely messed up. Conscious yeah, who would want to work there? <laughs> who would, right. But it sounded so good on the way in, you know, because they're good salespeople. But, um, you know, and then the last one is conscious culture. 
of which conscious development cultures is sort of our way of talking about it. It's one of the oldest lines ever in business, which is culture eats strategy for breakfast. Peter Drucker. And it, what is a conscious culture? It's one built on trust and accountability. So there's a performance element and caring. You know, Catherine and I believe that conscious development cultures really are the best version of conscious cultures. That is like the crib notes version of conscious capitalism. Hopefully it was succinct enough, but that, that pretty well summarizes the, uh, you know, what the premise is. Yeah. There's a, well, there are a lot of companies out there that are conscious, that are, you know, conscious capitalist companies. And I think you see a mix, right? But I love the, the tenets of it. Trust, the key characteristics of conscious, uh, of conscious development cultures, trust, accountability, and caring. Yeah. All with people, people, people. It's not, you know, necessarily, as you said, the Peter Drucker quote, it's not necessarily about the strategy or the bottom line. It's about these soft skill inherent characteristics that create the experience that we work in. Yeah. The world of leadership today is different than what it was 20 years ago. And I think we're still trying to turn a really big ship on how to approach development um, why do you think now is the time that people really need to embrace creating a conscious development culture? Well, I'll, I'll just start with that. Um, it's got some good uh, statistics, just in case, um, for those listeners who really care about um, uh, actual proof. But I, you can look at it that today the needs of business and the needs of people are actually converging around development. Because in a in a world that's very fast paced or a business world that's very fast paced and requires a lot of agile ability to change and adapt, working with a lot of different kinds of people. So diversity is a is a real experience that we all are having. And then, you know, just the way our world um it, all the challenges that we're facing, whether it's environmental or, or social, um, it it really needs what is needed for from people is is as uh, higher levels of of intellectual emotional and social intelligence and 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 so that's what a business needs of its people to operate at higher levels and and people need that for their own lives and so the good news is this convergence around development has has three implications one We've got to start to see people's development in the workplace as um, core to their purpose, or you could consider it an extended reason or purpose for why they exist. Might be not the only reason, but it's it's up there with you know what's really important that we can contribute is making sure we develop people. That's the first implication. The second implication is that we are going to have to get better at developing people in the workplace. We're going to have to get much better. And the third implication, if that's true, is we're going to have to design organizations for better development. We're going to have to be intentional about the culture, about the practices, about the approaches, because human development or the development of working adults really makes a difference for business, but also for human lives outside of work. And that's where we start to begin to see the impact on society for a more peaceful society where humans can operate um, at the full potential that we actually have been created, but we don't always 
get there. And so that's a bit about why it's so important to think seriously about people development um, in the workplace as an imperative, but also an opportunity to really contribute um, to social contribution. And Ed's got some data, if you're interested in data. Let's, let's back it up. Yes, absolutely. I'll always take data. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's good. I, uh, a couple couple things, and then I'll probably just kind of go right into, you know. Yeah, I want to know how to build it, because that's, I know we have limited time left, so I want to make sure that we get into how we build it. But yeah, what, what yeah. why should they care? Let's, so let's set up the data. Is, yeah, I, think, I think there's uh, an assumption that many people might make listening to the conscious capitalism description that they don't perform as well as their competition, you know, you know, the whole ESG argument and so forth. Actually, overwhelmingly, the data shows the opposite. So just a couple of things. In the appendix to the book, which anybody can get, John Mackey's book and Raj Sodi's book, and then an earlier book that Raj did called Firms of Endearment, which is kind of a funny term, but it gets the point across. You're going to find a bunch of data that shows that conscious companies and the ones who consistently are making best place to work, they have amazing financial success. Here's some statistics. Over a 15-year period, those companies had annual returns of 21% compared to 6.5% for the entire S&P 500. If you want to slice it to a shorter, the last five years of that period, which were a little tougher, the returns were actually even slightly better, nearly 10% annually for the, you know, the great companies, and only 3% for the S&P in total. Okay, so that's pretty cool. Well, then if you look at the Fortune 100 best companies to work, those companies over a 14-year period, two and a half times better than the S&P. Wow. Okay, so that, that's a little bit of dated information. So what I, I did was I've also looked at the, the most recent top best place to work, and the trend is the same. So companies like Hilton, which is number two on the list, Accenture, number five, Salesforce, number eight. These are the best places to work based on trust and all the things we talked about before. Hilton and Accenture alone did twice as well as the S&P over the last five years. Wow. I bet that also, that includes a really tough period. And there was a hotel company. Okay, so the, it's, I will say this. It's no coincidence, and people can look up these people. They don't already follow them. If you, if you look at Chris Nassetta, who's a local guy here running Hilton, Julie Sweet, who is the amazing CEO of Accenture, and Mark Benioff, these are some of the people that will be on every list of the most conscious leaders in America. And they kind of get it. And so I'm an accountant at heart. I need data. <laughs> you know, you know, I, yeah, I get all that. But remember, one of the stakeholders you have to keep in mind is the shareholder. So good news here is you do this stuff and over the long term, you will actually crush it. That leads to what's going on right now. What I would say is let's face it. There's a ton of burnout, lots of turnover. You know, we'll talk maybe a little bit of layoffs if you want, but there's a lot of reasons right now for turnover. I mean, just think what we've been through over the last three or four years. I mean, the world isn't feeling a lot better this morning than it did when COVID hit in, you know, March, February of 2020. I mean, there are wars, social unrest, racial unrest, political, it's us versus them everywhere. And so you know, you overlay that into going to work every day. And I think it's just some humans need a break. And so, great. They want something new. Maybe they've settled into a routine of working from home. And now the boss is, and I use this word intentionally, ordering them back to work. Remember what he said about conscious leaders? They don't do a lot of ordering. 
It's a very egalitarian, but they're being ordered back to work. They they are being ordered. People are being, being ordered. ordered right yeah. now. And you see it in the news. <laughs> they are being ordered to return back to work. And I hear it from my friends and Great. clients that work for those places. And they're ready to leave. It doesn't matter how big this organization is, how much brand recognition is. Even though the threat of a looming recession or layoffs, they're like, I still value my flexibility and I am going to find a place or an organization that respects that. That last point is so important because there are certain pockets where there are layoffs and so forth. But by and large, employers, employees have a lot of options right now. And so what Catherine and I think is, we see this, we talk to our leaders all the time, that this is an opportunity for employers. You have the opportunity to create something that is different and another option. And, you know, I mean, HR, Sherm and such, I mean, they peg the cost of turnover at 50 to 200% of an annual employee's comp. It doesn't take, a, just lower that turnover a little bit. Oh my gosh, think about the profits. But and the other thing that's interesting is that 93% of the of employees surveyed say that, wow, if my employer would invest more in my development, I'd be more likely to stay. Yeah. Now you slap your head and go, oh, conscious development culture. So yeah. I'll get off the soapbox on it. But it to me, as a business person fundamentally and kind of trying to be a conscious person as well, these things just go hand in hand. And it's a very logical now. Doing it long term takes some time and cult. How you do it? That's the where I would tee Catherine up. Hi everyone, it's Jen. And I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? Well, I'm excited to share with you that Crestcom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on crestcom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site, submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you $2,500. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crestcom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. How do you do it? And one thing that I would say, because we're talking at a, a, a higher level too, like what options does the leader have that might be working for a smaller scale organization to not have the same uh, maybe budget to be able to invest? Like, I, you know, I want to think about it from like both perspectives of like, how can people jump in? So Catherine, how do people create conscious development cultures? How can they actually start? What does this look like? Let's bring it to action. Yeah. So I love that you bring up the fact that, you know, small companies 
uh, need to be part of this and are part of this um, as well. I, I am working with a uh, a very conscious leader who has a company um, uh, in New in New Orleans, and you know it's a thirty five person company, but he is absolutely committed to developing himself and his people. And it's really incorporated that into his business strategy, into the way uh, his company works on a day-to-day basis. So a big shout out to Neil Huss and Susco in New Orleans. Um, So small companies do this as well. But so just four things that are really basic steps. um, And those four things are to really set the foundation for a conscious development culture. First is to make people development a part of the business strategy. It's part of how we will operate successfully, right? Think of it as we've got to think about what makes us successful with our customers or our clients. It's going to be our people skills, most likely, the way we build relationships, the way we treat. So making that an explicit part of our business strategy tells everyone in the company that people development is part of how we win, not only for us, the business, but for you in your career and what how we support you um, in society. Secondly, you want to make sure leaders, the senior leaders in, under, in the organization, understand that their role in owning, modeling, and driving the development agenda. It is vitally important because every employee takes every cue about how to show up every day from a senior level leader. That's just the truth. It's the way it is. And so leaders have to own their own development so they can model it and then they can drive it as part of the culture. The third is well, to identify. Can I ask, the, like, from your perspective, you know, leaders need to own their development. We're asking people, you might still have some people that are like, I've created success this way. People need to just figure it out. They should be happy they have a job. They could do all of that. Because I think the big disconnect that always happens is the ideal, here's the strategy, but then we actually don't hold the people, the mid-level leaders or the, the leader that has that. We don't hold them accountable to changing. And so then the frontline employees just laugh at the strategy because they know that you really don't embrace that because you're not holding other people accountable. And so what, like from your perspective, how, you know, knowing that accountability is a piece of it, how do you hold them accountable? Like the people for their own development. Well, this is why when we talk about a development culture, as Ed said, it's how we do our work. It's how we do things. And so when you embrace development as an important part of the business, what you are saying is we are committed. um, We value developing not just our technical skills, but, you know, the soft skills, how we communicate, how we support each other, how we give each other feedback. Etc. When you value it, you are committed to it as an employer. That you have it is an expectation that we talk about when we hire, when we onboard, when we um, do performance uh, recognition, promotion, etc. You make it part of the purpose, part of the strategy. It becomes the expectation, and then. Senior leaders have to understand that their role is not just to be a champion to say, oh, yes, everybody, you know, please go out and, 
and avail yourself to some development. I've already done it. But they have to understand that they actually give all the cues and the signals based on their own behavior. So it does require um, consciousness on the part of senior level leadership. And that's why our company really focuses on senior level leaders to help them understand how to embrace that role. Because it isn't actually, uh, everyone says that's the role of leaders is to develop other leaders. But it, it really today has to become something that's much more embraced. And so that's what we work on. But the third thing Bring is... Half, I just need to jump in because I want to put a very specific thing to that, that um, to con- her comment. We have, in, we have this idea of a conscious development employee life cycle. And what, we've d- what we do with clients is you ask sort of specifically, well, we've helped clients build recruiting scripts and ask questions about whether people have a development mindset. So when you train them and the recruiters are looking for that, that's how you embed it. When you put it into performance management, where you actually have in performance management and you've tied it to their compensation, things around development and about their own development and about developing others, and you've actually got things in the the performance point. The point of that is you you kind of ask how how do you do this in detail? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah that's the piece because it's super here. conceptual. But what does it look like in action? Exactly. And I love that of tying it to the performance reviews of thinking, okay, like actually put this where the where it counts, where you get paid. Exactly. That you're not going to achieve this bonus or this increase if you are not if we're not seeing the development based on these surveys based on this accountability. I, I love that, but I know that for sake of time, we've got to we we got to get back to number three. So tell me more: how to create conscious development culture. So the first one to make it a strategy. Second, empower your leaders to actually own their own role. What is number three? Number three is identifying the most important skill sets you need, the most important people skills. If communication, relationship building, if empathy is is really important to the business, um, then that's what you you make sure everybody understands they're in the pursuit of developing. Development is an ongoing process. It's not perfect. It's not about being perfect. It's about being in the constant striving to grow better at, right? And so, but, but employees have to know what are the most important because the skills could be, you know, as fast as the universe. Right. Companies be specific about the most important ones say that it was a core of 10, that everyone, it's like our language. Everyone needs to know what those are because that's when you build a cadence and a rhythm. So that's number three. Number four is integrating. We've we've talked about this a little bit. It's, It's integrating development messages and practices into the employee life cycle. You, every business already has an employee life cycle. They operate off of one because they hire people, they onboard them, they, they develop them in whatever ways they, they, they assess their performance. Um, you know, they promote them, et cetera. So use your life cycle and incorporate the messages around our commitment and our expectation to constant development. So those, if you can just focus on those, that gives you the starting point um, to create an environment where everyone understands how important development is. And then the most important thing that happens is peers help peers. When you help other, that's when you really start to um, 
create the best of what the working environment can be because everyone sees themselves as constantly growing and not perfect. And the compassion to help another person and to support another person is how we build the humanity in our workplaces that build our well-being as well as our performance. I love that. Every person you meet is both your teacher and your student. You know, even coming back to the skill sets, I've definitely sat in rooms where I think people have not thought about the skills required for a job. They've thought about, well, I think we have the person, but does the person have the skills? They have, they're looking at that based on their past performance, but not even that. And I think, you know, if we, if you do that, sometimes you set someone up to fail because you're taking what you think they can do. And I've done it where someone um, made a bet on me and wanted me to do sales because I can talk to people. But guess what? I do not want to do it. That's not my jam. I'm not great at it. And it ended up being something that I then had to like put down and walk away. And, you know, I don't want, you know, I think there's a lot of situations like that when we don't identify the skill sets and really stop to slow down that we're not making the right moves in terms of our people development and then integrating the messages through the life cycle. I love that. Why not start from onboarding to even how you walk out the door, leave them better than you found them. You know, just making sure that people feel better. We, I know we have to wrap, but I'm curious, what are some closing comments or feedback that you might want to share? And then I want to ask, how can they get in touch with you? I'll start by just saying that um, the development journey is, is not a destination point. It's not a light switch. It's about working adults becoming better human beings. Yeah. And that really at the end of the day is the most important thing because we all want to be happier. We want to feel that we can navigate our lives at work and at home and out in society. And we also care about contributing. And so we just believe that companies today have such an important opportunity and role to play in making our society better as they become better businesses. And so the time is now to really think about human development in the workplace as a form of social contribution after they increase their bottom line as well. Yes. Ed, what would you add or to what would you leave us with in this conversation? Uh, I think a couple of things. Um, My 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 mentor, my coach, Dave McGuire, uh, he taught me a lot of things. And one of the things he taught me was something he called the psychological contract. And this was the idea that and you you really triggered it for me, Jen, because employers, we have a tendency to think, well, what can they do for me? But the, the reality is that it's kind of a psychological contract because when you're looking at me as the employer, you have expectations. And it's kind of like you're building this relationship together. And I, what I see a lot of times is employers just think from their perspective. It's actually kind of what you said. They don't realize that they've got to kind of give to get, which leads to the whole thing, which is right now, and I talk to CEOs about this all the time. And just to be clear, a lot of our clients are not Fortune 500 companies. They're smaller. And what I say is right now is, you know, I always follow the market. And what I mean by that is right now, you have an opportunity to build this thing for a long, long time with the people that will want to work for you if you are flexible. If you don't, if you get off the ordering around and start to think about what are other people doing, you can say, order them back to work. But if you're in an industry where three or four other companies aren't, 
they can vote with their feet. So I would be practical and just understand that you're also, you know, as Catherine said, I mean, you have an opportunity to really help the world, but they really, you'll be helping your own business at the same time. So hopefully that's a little bit helpful. And um, uh, I'll leave you with People that. People are empowered to leave today. I'm being one of them. I'm, I'm a millennial generation and I've absolutely walked out of organizations that you know, for me, you talked about even integrity earlier. I quit a job on the same day, which I don't love saying that, but because of a move that someone in the executive suite did, I was like, I'm absolutely not standing for this because my integrity was crossed. And, and it was something that I, I can't give the full backstory, but I I walked out and it wasn't my favorite, but I I am willing. I have enough. There are enough options out there that I want to commit to an employer that I know cares about me. You know, I've worked with Crestcom for an organization for five years and they have been so beautiful in terms right. of like showing their support. And it just shows like I will stay, but I will also walk. And I know that that's what millennials, I think almost anyone will actually do that in today's for, workforce, for sure. but especially the younger ones. Yeah. Well, well, be, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll show you, give you the closing call to action here in a second. But what I would say is that I, I you know, I'm obviously not, I'm older than you two. Okay. So I always get crazy. It drives me crazy when I hear people of my experience level say, well, we used to, you didn't need to uh, like, okay, well, the way I know back when we started to work, it was like, what do I have to do now? But you got to get around your head around the idea that nobody just does what you want anymore. They need to know why. Tell them why. What's the big deal? Tell them why. And that if it's about purpose, those things, you're going to have them forever. And by the way, if you ever left Crestcom, I predict you would be a brand ambassador. You would say the same things about them, whether you were there or not. And it's one of the core principles that Catherine and I have built this so they'll want to stay, but think that they may not. And then you've got a brand ambassador and you've got a potential client. You've got all this stuff. We get very wrapped up in, oh boy, they're leaving. <laughs> no, you can't think like that. Okay, so what we would say in closing is, uh, aopeoplepartners.com. You can find all about us. Um, and our book is Conscious, Capable, and Ready to Contribute, which you can find on all of the online booksellers, um, Audible, hardcover, soft, Kindle, you got it. And um, we'd love you to read it. And we'll really give you the story uh, behind uh, one company that figured this out and how to you know, what they did with it, and then a lot of how-to. Very, very practical how to, which is hard to do in a 30 minute uh, podcast. Yeah. No, the hows are always the hardest, but they're, you know, I pick up the book, head on over, and also connect. I would say connect with you on LinkedIn. You're both pretty active on LinkedIn. And after Dinger, Catherine Allen, find them on LinkedIn, connect with them, continue the conversation, maybe even share what you're doing to create a conscious development culture. thank you so much for giving your time i appreciate it and i just yeah i'm grateful for you and creating that ripple effect in the world that we all want to see thank you so much to Catherine and ed for coming on the show thank Thank you you thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast i hope that you learned something new today thinking about conscious capitalism conscious development this is something we need to invest in now. If you are a leader of people, heck, if you're an aspiring leader of people, how can you act in those tenets that they shared, building trust, accountability, and showing people you care? It will go so far. And of course, if you know someone that could benefit from hearing this message, from learning more about leadership, share this podcast with them. 
And if we at Crosstalk can help you to develop your leaders, whether you're a new leader or an existing one, we would love the opportunity to give you the tools that you need to be effective to create the culture that you want to work in. Head on over to Crestcom.com. There you can request a leadership skills workshop. We would love to come in and help you and your team work better together. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.